Amen. I'm glad that y'all are here today. <laughs> it's good to be here. You know, I, I felt like maybe just getting up and saying a prayer and dismissing. I think uh, Joel gave us our sermon this morning. Um, thank you, brother. I appreciate that. You know, I said last week that um, 2020 was a crazy, weird year and, um, and that we're not okay. Um, we're all grieving something. Um, you know, and acknowledging grief, uh, reflecting on it, and allows the healing to begin to take place, giving us a desire uh, to carry on. And I know that many times we don't think about grief in that way, but when our souls are, are sick, we need that incarnation of truth. We need the, the truth, the word to become flesh and dwell among us. And I, I love God's Word, and, and you know, we, we need these redeeming stories of how God has moved in someone's experience and brought about um, life and hope in their lives. And, and we need that. We need to hear that. And as we consider uh, the book of Ruth over the next few weeks, um, my prayer is that we will see the living God, that we will see um, our personal Savior that we will see a holy redeemer and our loving creator. Um, you know, we serve a mighty God who loves us so very, very much. And, and, and if there's distance today, I want you to know that God desires you to come home to him. He loves us. He creates, he sustains, he rules and he cares for his creation. We're going to be in Ruth chapter 1. And I want to read uh, verses 2 through 7. And um, just building on uh, last week as well. But read with me if you will. Open your scripture there to uh, Ruth uh, chapter 1 verse 2 down through verse 7. And God's word says this. It says, There was a man. The name of the man was Elimelech. And the name of his wife, Naomi. And the names of his Two sons were Mahlon and Chilion, Ephratites from Bethlehem in Judah. Ephratites from Bethlehem in Judah. Now they entered the land of Moab and remained there. Verse 3, then Elimelech, Naomi's husband, died. And she was left with her two sons. And they took for themselves Moabite women as wives and the name of one was Orpah, and the name of the other, Ruth. And they lived there about ten years. Then both Mahlon and Kilion also died, and the woman was bereft of her two children and her husband. Then she arose with her daughters-in-law, that she might return from the land of Moab, for she had heard that in the land of Moab that the Lord had visited his people in giving them food. So she departed from the place where she was and her two daughters-in-law with her, and they went on to the way to return to the land of Judah." Loving Father, I thank you for your word, and I, I pray, Father, that, that you would be glorified in this moment. Father, that you would quicken our hearts, 
Holy Spirit, that you would uh, lead us to all truth. Father, I pray that the Holy Spirit would examine our hearts. And even today, that you would shine your light, bringing life and hope to our grieving hearts. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Excuse me. Last week we met a man and his name was Elimelech. And um, his wife was Naomi and they were from Bethlehem and they had two sons. And today I want to focus on just two things. One is Elimelech, the man and, and some things about him. And the second is the grief that Naomi went through. And um, I, I hope that you find encouragement in this message today. I want to share just briefly some things about Elimelech. Uh, three things. I want to share his name. I want to share his um, shame, but also his fame. Uh, now, his name, Elimelech, means my God is king. My God is king. You see, at the beginning of his name, you have uh, El, which is, is the name for God. El Shaddai, El Rapha, El, uh, you know, all of those El words that describe who God is. El El Yon. Um, and, and so you have the, uh, his name means my God is king. And, and today when we invite someone, someone invites Jesus into their heart. When someone invites Jesus into his or her life, we say that they are born again. We say that they have been born again and that they are part of the kingdom of God, that they are part of the the family of God. And and I, I, I say that because that means that Jesus becomes their king, that Jesus becomes their master, that Jesus becomes their boss of their life. His name means my God is king. I mean, where else would you expect a king to be than on the throne in his kingdom? He resides within us. The problem is that sometimes we allow Jesus to reside in us, but we don't allow him to preside in over us. And there's a huge difference between a resident and the president. One's in control, one's in charge. And you see, when we allow Jesus, there's a huge difference between those two. Is he just residing in you or is he the president? Is he the one in control? Because I think that's, that's huge. But notice in Elimelech's name that it's personal. It says, my God, my king. See, everything takes on a new meaning when you put that word my in front of it. I mean, it's one thing to say, this is a house. It's another thing to say, this is my house. Or maybe that's a girl. Or that's my girl. Or that's a baby. No, that's my baby. See, it all takes on a different meaning. And use of the personal pronoun my is the difference between religion being a ritual and rules and it being a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. See, to be able to say that the Lord is my shepherd is really the heart of the Christian faith. But notice also that it's persistent. He says, my God is king. 
my God is king. That word is is a huge word. See, I claim him as as my king in in my life always. And and I want to say to you today, that will never change. Because of the difference that Jesus Christ makes in my life. So let me ask you, who's the king of your life? Who are you working for? What are you doing? Who directs your attitudes? Who directs your thoughts? Who directs your actions and the motives of your heart? Folks, we should never allow a barrier to come between us and our Lord. That's what his name means. My God is king. But notice his shame. Because God was no longer king of Elimelech's life. I mean, it didn't happen all at once. It was a gradual process. And it begins with an attitude and and it moves to the actions of a person. Over in Proverbs 14, verse 14, it says this. It says, the backslider in heart will have his fill of his own ways. But a good man will be satisfied with his. I think that's huge. Let me remind you that it was just just a little short distance from Bethlehem where Elimelech was to Moab where he went. A short distance between those two. And we need to understand that sin tries to get you to leave the right path. Bethlehem was in the land of Judah, was in the promised land, was in the land that God, the one true God, the one living God, gave to the people of Israel. They were moving away from God's blessing into a pagan land where they worshipped idols and away from God's blessing. So it's one short step there and sin tries to take you off the right path, just a little out of the way. But once you take that first small step, then encourages you to take another step and another step. You see, those who go far from God start one step at a time. I didn't mean for that to happen. No, but you weren't plugged in. He wasn't your king. You began at some point to call the shots. Do you ever notice that Scripture doesn't say that Elimelech committed any sin? There's no record of any wrong except that he moved away from God's will and the place where he should have been. You know, Bible commentator Warren Wearsby, he, he said this, he said, a family makes a bad decision and exchanges one famine for three funerals. Kind of sobering, isn't it? You make a mistake, you make a bad decision, and all of a sudden, you're paying. See, Elimelech not only defiled himself when he moved, but he defiled his whole family as well. But listen, we never backslide alone. 
We never backslide alone. We often take our friends. We often take our spouses. We often take our children with us when we backslide. Like that hymn says, prone to wonder. Not wonder, but wander. Prone to wander. Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. Take my heart, Lord. Take and seal it. Seal it for your courts above. Because I'm prone to wonder. Because you're prone to wonder. Elimelech was prone to wonder because the grass looked greener in Moab. And there was a famine in the land. You think maybe God was trying to get their attention? Maybe something was happening and he was like, turn to me, turn to me. And instead of turning to God, press the easy button, go where the gland is greener. And it cost him three funerals. But notice also his fame, and I'm not talking about fame in the sense of success, but it might be called success in reverse. I mean, he literally went from riches to rags, and it cost him his life. From living in the promised land and all of God's blessings to living among pagans away from the blessings of Almighty God. But let me give you some good news. The first seven verses of the book of Ruth major on the family going away from God. But the entire rest of the book deals with them coming back home to God. And really, that's what God wants us to major on. It's easy for us to get away from God. What he's saying is come back home, come back to me. So enough about Elimelech. Let's talk about grief. Now, this is, this is something, you know, sooner or later, every person who lives and breathes will go through a grief experience. Because any significant loss that you have in your life results in grief. I mean, there's many different types of grief. I mean, types of loss. I mean, you could lose your job. You could, you could have a loss of a relationship. You could, you, could, you could lose your dream, a loss of your dream, and, or, or a loss of a hometown or the, the community around you. Or, or maybe it was just something, that, an item that was dear to you. But any significant loss results in grief. I mean, losing a loved one in death. I mean, the separation is real. You, you've spent your life with someone and, and the separation is real. And that brings about grief. There's psychological and there's physiological reactions that occur with the loss of a loved one. Because of death. And I want you to understand that Naomi experienced great grief. The magnitude of her grief was compounded. She grieved over having to leave her homeland. To leave Judah where they lived. To pack up and to move and to, to go to a foreign land where they didn't know anybody. And I'm sure she was grieving over that. Anytime you move to a different area, it's a big deal. 
always is, always will be. Because there's, there's an uncertain amount to it. But she was probably grieving the loss of, of her homeland while she grieved that loss. She was in pain over the death of her husband, her companion. That grief had not yet subsided and her two sons died. Naomi knew firsthand the trauma of grief. In a former pastorate, there was a, an older lady. Her name was Alita Hill. She lived in Pendleton, just north of town here. She buried two husbands and four children. This lady had known a lot of grief. And in that, after burying her youngest son, I asked her how she was able to handle all the grief that she suffered. And her response was amazing. She said, the last time I checked, I'm not God. And she said, he doesn't need to ask me for my permission. The Lord gives and the Lord takes away. He's in charge. He does as he pleases. Now, I understand that grief is not a popular subject for a sermon. Many times we just want to hear something good, something encouraging, something, you know, that we can just. But, but my prayer is that by talking about this and by going here, it helps us as a body to process the grief that is in our life. It's inevitable that we're going to grieve, and it's universal. So it hits us all, and therefore grief needs to be examined. Naomi's grief can help us. If we will understand Naomi's grief, it will help us in the things that we grieve in our lives. Because grief causes enormous hurt. I mean, whenever loss of any sort happens, great hurt comes. We get attached to things. That's who we are. And the deeper the relationship that a person has, the deeper the grief. Naomi's husband and companion, Elimelech, had died. Later, her two sons died. But you know, there's no closer ties that exist between two human beings than that of spouses or that of moms and dads and their children. Those are, those are deep relationships. So Naomi knew the great hurt that grief caused, but grief hurts physiologically. I mean, when you're going through grief, there's physical distress that accompanies that loss. I mean, sometimes bereaved people, they suffer from, you know, tightness in the throat or shortness of breath or maybe frequent sighing or, or, or sleep loss, among many other things. There's just this physiological thing that happens while we grieve, but it also hurts psychologically. I mean, bereaved people suffer sometimes from loneliness, from despondency, from anxiety, from fear, maybe other emotional responses and reactions. See, a whole bunch of, of statements could be made about grief, 
but one that completely is sufficient to describe it is simply to say it hurts. It hurts. Grief hurts. There's so much in there. See, God doesn't promise us an easy escape from the dark valleys of life, nor does he offer an explanation for them. He promises only to be there by our side to comfort us when we go through them. If you've never experienced grief, you will. It's coming. You know, the late Charles Allen, one-time pastor of First Methodist Church in Houston, he wrote an interesting little book entitled, All Things Are Possible Through Prayer. And I love this. Because the book said three things about God. It said, God never lets us off. God never lets us go. And God never lets us down. I mean, when we sin, there are consequences. And God holds us responsible. And he never lets us off. He never looks the other way and says, oh, that's okay. We are responsible for our sin. He never lets us off. And then when we wander away, when we go away from him, he pursues us. And he never lets us go. But when we need him, when we need him the most, he's right there. And he never lets us down. He is there. His promise is, I will never leave you nor forsake you. But see, we, we have to, we must express our grief. I've done a lot of funerals. And sometimes I see someone who may or may not have known the, the deceased. And what happens is, is maybe this gentleman had, his, his, maybe his mother had passed away a couple years ago. And he just kind of pushed it down and he kind of put it to the side and he didn't deal with it. And then he comes to a, a funeral and, he, and it reminds him of his mother's funeral and he totally breaks down and, he, and he, he totally just is overwhelmed by emotion because the grief was never dealt with. And what I'm saying is we must express our grief. How much Naomi expressed her grief isn't known. It doesn't tell us that. But we do know that in the ancient world, quietness concerning grief was not the problem. They cried loud. They had professional mourners that would come. They would lament. They would tell their story to others and talk about their pain. See, an expression of grief begins by facing and accepting the reality. Sometimes we're tempted to hide our suffering and push it down and suppress it sometimes people might say things like well i know you're grieving just just put it out of your mind just just um just don't think about it or here's the famous one let's just stay busy so then we don't have to deal with it because we know it's going to hurt we know that as we think about it as we reflect on it it's going to hurt and so we don't want to do that and blocking and suppressing grief, grief can lead to even greater suffering. 
See, expression of grief needs the normal response. I want to say of, of weeping. Grieving over that relationship. An old proverb says, if you do not weep outwardly, you will weep inwardly. Our deep hurt needs to be expressed. But notice also the importance of others during grief. From our text, we observe the close relationship that Naomi had with her two daughters-in-laws, Orpah and Ruth. And without a doubt, they were invaluable resources for her grief. Now, of course, God is the most significant other. He's the, the, the big one there that is, is responsible for comforting her in her grief and a, a very important resource for Naomi. But I would, and I would even imagine that many times Naomi cried out to God, um, cried out in her grief, and, and she may have asked many times for God's strength. Do we cry out to Him when we're grieving? See, friends and companions can also help us during our grief. Naomi talked with her experience, about her experiences with Ruth and Orpah. And they talked through things and they, they talked about and hours of talking can accomplish the healing of grief. And Naomi's support system cared for her. And as I bring this, this plane in here for a landing now, you know, at some point, at some point, we need to get beyond our grief. It's not a problem if we process our grief. The problem is if we get stuck in the grief. At some point, we need to get beyond grief. And of course, Naomi never forgot her husband. She never forgot about her sons. But she realized that life needed to move on. Verse 6 says, Then she arose with her daughters-in-law that she might return from the land of Moab, for she had heard in the land of Moab that the Lord had visited His people in giving them food. She recognized life needs to go on. I can't just sit here. And she sensed that life had meaning beyond her grief. See, going beyond grief means integrating aspects of, those, of the loss into your life. Maybe reflecting on the loved one or, or what was lost or, or um, reflecting on the good and carrying um, the influence forward of that special person. Allowing their influence in your life to impact others. How do we move forward in that? You see, this type of integration means engaging in selective memory about the loss. No one's perfect. We need to leave all the junk behind. And we need to remember the beneficial qualities. Focusing on the positives. Looking for where the influence landed. See, going beyond grief means establishing new relationships. And discovering new meaning for life. See, from her example, we see that Naomi wanted to return to her homeland. She wanted to pack up and go back and to begin a new life again. Now understand that return is a key word in the book of Ruth. And it's an appropriate picture for repentance. Look at what it says there in verse 6. That she might return from the land of Moab. And verse 7 says, Then they went on the way to return 
to the land of Judah. They're leaving Moab behind the heartache, the grief from Moab, and they're moving back to the blessing of God. They're moving back to home with God. See, looking at Naomi and reading her full story lets us see how she coped with grief. And when loss comes to us, we're going to need all the help we can get. You know, I'm reminded of a family member. His name was Uncle Don. He's the brother-in-law of my wife Tracy's dad. He married his sister. And after being given just a few months to live, the family was concerned about Don's eternity because Don had not been one that talked very openly about his faith, about his soul. And so after talking one-on-one with him, I asked him very directly, I said, Don, have you ever invited Jesus Christ into your heart? And he said, well, yeah. Yeah, I've done that. I know Jesus. I prayed and asked him into my heart years ago. And I said, Don, don't you think that your family would like to know that about you? I mean, wouldn't that bring great comfort to your wife and to your children and grandchildren to know that they would see you again? He said, I guess it would. Never really thought about it. But for the rest of his life, he was very vocal about his relationship with Jesus Christ. What I'm saying is if you have a relationship with Jesus Christ, You need to tell others about it. You need to share that with others. Because the crucial question of time and eternity is this. You know, when the trumpet sounds and and, and Christ returns, or we go in death, the key question is, will we be saved? Do you know Jesus? And more importantly, does he know you? See, when everything else is said and done, little else matters. And Jesus tells us how we can be sure. I mean, if you don't hear anything else that I say today, I want you to hear this, that Jesus is the only way to God. Jesus is the only way to God. The Bible says That the one way, the only way, is for us to put our faith and our trust in Jesus Christ, God's Son. And it's only through Him that we will be saved, that we will enter into heaven. I mean, Jesus Himself said in John 14, His death was coming up, it was impending. It was going to happen right away. And He told His disciples, He said, you believe in God, believe also in Me. He said, in my father's house, there are many mansions, many dwelling places. And he said, I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you so that where I am, there you can be also. 
And Thomas said, Lord, if, if we don't know where you're going, how can we know the way? And Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. He can't make it any plainer. Jesus Christ is the only way to God. Understand this, death is not the ultimate defeat for the believer. Instead, when they have a service for me, when they put these bones in the ground or whatever they do with them, I'm going to be in heaven. I'm going to be welcomed in and he's going to say, well done, my good and faithful servant. Let's celebrate a job well done. Let me clarify what's about to happen next here. This morning during our response time. I invite you to move from where you are. To return to God. To come home to God. Maybe this morning you want to acknowledge him as your Savior and Lord. Maybe you want to invite him into your heart. Maybe this morning you want to, in obedience, you want, to, you want to follow Christ in baptism. Maybe this morning you want to be a part, a member of this church at Memorial, put in here by establishing your membership here so that we can work and serve our Lord together. Or maybe you just want to follow Christ by surrendering to go wherever he may lead you. My point is this. We have opportunity today to get it right if it's not right. And so in just a moment, when we sing together, I invite you to come. Just to come down to the front. Tell me what you want to do. We'll work with that. Come and pray. Whatever God is speaking to you, surrender and do that. Loving Father, I thank you for this time and I thank you, Father, for your word. And Father, I pray that your Holy Spirit would just take control. And Father, that you would just move us from where we are to, to where we can be with you. Father, you love us. You've done everything for us. You've given us life. You've made a way that we can have eternal life. And Father, I pray that you would just have your way in our hearts that, Father, the things that you put on our hearts to do, we would do and we would respond in obedience. Father, knowing that your best is the best thing that could ever be for us. Father, the plans that you have are so far beyond what we could possibly imagine. So I ask God that you would help us to surrender to you this morning. Lord Jesus, I want to thank you for coming to this earth and living a sinless life and being the, the, the sacrifice, the payment for my sin, for our sin. The Father, we're not going to have to pay that debt that we could not pay. But Lord Jesus, thank you for doing that for me and for each one of us who know you and call you Lord. Father, I pray that you would be with this time of response. I pray that you would move among our hearts. 
as we seek you this morning. Father, we love you. Guide us as we continue to seek you with all our heart. In Jesus' name, amen.